Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Serious J&J vaccine shortage puts June target in doubt, but July 5th is marked as likely date for return to indoor dining. Our political correspondent with Virgin Media News, Gavin Riley, is standing by with the latest ahead of tomorrow's major government announcement on summer restrictions. And we're joined here in studio by the Minister for Housing, Local Government and Heritage, Dara O'Brien. Later in the programme, outrage continues over new indoor dining guidelines with calls for the 105-minute time limit to be scrapped. We'll have reaction. Plus, another blow for the events industry and couples waiting to tie the knot as the ban on live music remains in place for hospitality. Get in touch via Twitter with the hashtag TonightVMTV. First tonight, we're joined from government buildings by our political correspondent with Virgin Media News, Gavin Riley. And Gavin, give us the good news first, because it seems there are optimistic soundings about indoor dining for the 5th of July. That's right. It certainly doesn't feel very summery here at government buildings this evening, Matt, but certainly the mood inside government buildings is a lot sunnier. And despite the concerns about a shortfall in vaccines and not going to meet that 82% target of adults having one dose by the end of June, it seems that it is somewhat full steam ahead for a summer reopening. So as had been hoped for by many in the industry, indoor hospitality will be returning on the 5th of July, albeit with all of the restrictions that you're going to discuss later in the programme. But not only at that time, we're also going to have increased numbers at weddings. We're also going to have the return of cinemas and from that point we're also going to have uh, the return of crowds at sports matches. There will be at least 100 at all outdoor gatherings or sports events, 200 if the circumstances allow, if there's a bigger venue. Those are for June then 200 and 500 from July and from August, potentially up to 5,000 people in some stadia which would mean not necessarily a packed Croke Park for the All-Ireland Senior Finals but certainly enough of a crowd to be able to make an atmosphere there. But what does it mean for things like electric picnic the first week in September? A 5,000 people capacity there would hardly be enough for a lot of events. No, it certainly wouldn't make it viable and I think that's one of the other things that we're waiting to hear a lot of uh, guidance about from government because alongside those plans for default numbers of people who could attend certain events, we are also going to be given uh, plans for a programme of test events, both indoor and outdoor, not just sport, but also in different genres of the arts as well, which will have, uh, and the, the quote from the Tallest today was, thousands of people present at those events across June and July. So we understand that when all of these things are finally announced tomorrow, after Cabinet meets at noon tomorrow and gets to put pen to paper and sign off of all these various proposals, we will at that point also be given an official programme of some of those larger events and all the spec around whether you will need antigen testing or how much of a role masks might play in those Is there a surprise that ENFIT seems to be in favour of this or has there been a degree of arm twisting by the government after the kickback that the main political parties have been getting at the parliamentary party meetings? 
I don't think there's been that much of an arm twisting because I think that much like the meeting that the government had at the end of April when it decided what was going to happen for May and June, there is a little bit of surprise at just how calm Neffet is about all of this. And politicians, to some degree, have been sculpted into expecting Neffet to always take the most cautious approach possible. But it would seem that Neffet, irrespective of the concerns about the rollout of the virus and maybe some of the targets that are about to be missed, are broadly satisfied with the impact that vaccines are making. And we heard that as well from Colin Henry today at the weekly HSE briefing, talking about how it was now generally the case that those who are being hospitalised with COVID were in the age cohorts that haven't yet received the vaccine. That it seems that, although no one wants to call it a silver bullet, the vaccination is doing an awful lot of the heavy lifting and therefore it does give ministers much more latitude to consider measures that they wouldn't have thought possible otherwise. One last thing, Gavin. There's been very little said tonight about aviation, which is so important for tourist revenue, also of the massive numbers employed, and for people as well who want to get away on a foreign holiday. Are we likely to get information on that tomorrow night? But I think a big question is the way you've just framed it there and people wanted to get away for a foreign holiday because one of the difficulties that the government has is that if you are to allow indoor hospitality to return on the 5th of July, one of the questions that the government has to face is do you allow uh, non-essential international travel within a couple of weeks of that because even though it might bring tourists to Ireland, it does mean that you do have something of a literally captive domestic audience who then might be flying abroad to cheaper foreign holiday destinations. And one of the ideas that's been kicked around in some circles of government is that you could potentially delay the return of aviation in order to make sure that the domestic tourism season gets at least a few weeks all to itself without people having to run the risk of going abroad. But as you say, given the concerns that there are about the ongoing future of the aviation industry, given the news that we heard last week about the Aer Lingus base in Shannon, and given the fact that aviation is about more than tourism, it's also about people who haven't seen parents or siblings or loved ones for, for months or even years at a time, and the desire for them to be able to get in the plane and go and see their loved ones as well. There are other things to be taken in. We do expect there to be a date formally signed off on at Cabinet tomorrow for the adoption of the green search. That would mean a date sometime in, Ju in July or August by which anyone who is vaccinated or passes a PCR test is free to go anywhere within the European Union that they like and potentially the UK and the United States. That is a big policy decision which has to be made by ministers tomorrow. It's not something on which they've received any specific NEFIT advice. Thank you very much, Gavin Riley. We are joined now here in studio by the Minister for Housing, Local Government and Heritage, Dara O'Brien. And let me ask you about it's that particular point to start with. That is a big policy issue and it's not just about people having the freedom to go on holidays there are so many people employed in the Absolutely. aviation sector will you finally give them some sort of certainty tomorrow night as to when they'll be able to get back flying yeah i expect so aviation is crucially important and um, it's important for our country from a, an economic perspective nearly 150,000 jobs uh, both directly and indirectly for our connectivity as a country as Gavin's rightly mentioned, it's it's not just the holidays, it's people being able to see their families. I live in North Dublin, I represent North Dublin, I'm right beside Dublin Airport. I know how important it is um, and I would like to see our approach aligned, which it is. We've agreed to the EU Digital Green Cert, as you know, which kicks in from the start of July. I think that is a mechanism for Europe to be able to travel safely within Europe. But if you delay its implementation for six weeks, that's the summer lost I, for lots well, of I, people I'm not, and for the businesses. I'm, I'm not saying that will happen. And what I'll be pushing for is the earliest implementation uh, and effective to affect 
uh, a restart in aviation safety because they've like that whole sector and hospitality. I don't have to tell you, you know it has been so badly affected over the last 15 months. Now we're able to make these decisions now because of the progress that's been made by our people, but the stunning progress in the vaccination program too, uh, which has been really significant. So I would expect a lot more clarity and we will be, we meet tomorrow at cabinet at 12 noon. The cabinet subcommittee on COVID is still meeting right now on very important issues like how we further reopen our economy. Let's even look back though a couple of months and what we've been able to do successfully. Like we've had schools reopened successfully. We've had construction reopened successfully. We've had retail and all those other personal services. And what we open, we'd never want to close again. So it's been a very deliberate, responsible reopening plan. And I expect tomorrow, uh, post-Cabinet, that the Taoiseach then will be giving a further announcement on, on how June and July looks. Aviation is really important to this country. I want to see it opened as swiftly and speedily as possible. You mentioned the vaccination programme and it is good to know that there have been over two and a half million yes. jabs administered at this stage. But there is a concern mm -hmm. after what Stephen Donnelly said today inside in the Dáil that we're suddenly going to find that particularly with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine that we're going to get about a tenth of what we'd expected of it before the end of June and it won't be compensated for by coming with other vaccines. So how much is that going to throw the vaccination process off? Well, it's disappointing, certainly, and to acknowledge that. I think the end of this week, though, we'll have over 50% of the adult population will have received at least one jab, 2.6 million doses administered, uh, and 800,000 people fully vaccinated. To get specifically to your question, in June, we were due about 2.4 million uh, doses between the various different vaccines. If Janssen reduces from about 400,000 to what Stephen actually said earlier today, it could be as low as 60,000, but potentially, uh, uh, you know, um, 240,000 or so, we'll still have over 2 million vaccine doses to be administered. But instead of getting to in, your 82% target by the end of I, June, what will you get to? I think we'll be, we'll be close, Matt, to within a matter of weeks. If, if it transpires as we think, there has been some blips in relate, not just in Ireland, in, in all European countries, so much worse than this. But because Pfizer-BioNTech, in, in fairness, has been, um, you know, such a steady uh, performer in relation to delivery, uh, we've been able to ramp up the vaccine programme to levels that only a few weeks ago people would have never thought that we would have been at. So we will deal with this. If we're slightly short, and I'm not giving up on that yet, if we miss the 82% target by a week or two, I think that will be understood. What's really important in Ireland is 95% of the vaccines that we receive are administered within one week of them coming in. We don't hold, and we never have from the start, a big stockpile of vaccines. And that's why it's been successful. And I think a lot of your viewers will know that from all around the country. So we'll deal with this, and I'm confident that we will. But how concerned are you, though, that if the vaccination programme does start slipping a little bit, through no fault of mm -hmm. your own, though, that that will have issues in relation to the Indian variant? Because in Britain, they are now talking about their so-called Freedom Day of 21st of mm -hmm. June may have to be delayed. We obviously monitor all the variants that are out there, the Indian variant being, you know, the more prominent one at the moment, particularly in Britain. But I think when we're saying that the vaccine itself has been stunning in its impact and certainly its impact on hospitalizations and the cohorts of people who are vaccinated. So, But will that apply to the Indian variant? We have 97 cases so far. Yeah, no, Is there not a danger that it will develop further and that the vaccines that we have, particularly people who have had the AstraZeneca vaccine, will not have sufficient protection? No, I think we need to, I think we need to be very confident in the vaccines that have been rolled out already, whilst we've seen a slight increase and it's slight increase week on week in the, in the number of Indian variants detected here in Ireland. It's not significant, and that's not to be complacent. But if we keep ramping up our programme, like 300,000 people will be vaccinated this week, 
and next and the week after 400,000 people. So when we get to that level of vaccination as well, that has a real impact in relation to pushing the virus down further. So we're confident in the programme that we're delivering. We will deal with the Janssen issue and, I, and we will make up for any lost ground. But I wouldn't be saying that will be significant. Okay, to be if, though, if we have such a large number of people vaccinated, at least mm -hmm. the first shot by the end of June, early July, why then have all these restrictions involved in indoor dining, uh, such as distances, mm -hmm. amount of time limits and whatever, because the industry is saying that it actually can't operate sure. profitably in that basis. Well, nothing's actually been decided yet, and tomorrow's Cabinet meeting where we will see the detail and, and we get a report from the COVID. Sorry, does that, does that mean that the Fulcher Ireland recommendations might be amended? It does, of course, yeah. And I think Cabinet decide uh, at the end of the day. Uh, we take advice and we take that advice very seriously. Uh, but, you know, we also understand that the hospitality sector you know, wants to reopen. We want it to reopen safely. Uh, we've, you know, lessons have been learned as to how this has been managed right the way through the process. So we will, first and foremost, public health is, is paramount. But in relation to, to social distancing and all those other measures, they will remain a part of, of, of our life, I would imagine, for a number of months to come, at least, uh, even when until the, the, the virus itself is fully suppressed and the vaccines rolled out completely. So things like one metre or two metre rules in outdoor will be the predominance, I would imagine, for the next month. But we want to make sure the business can operate indoor safely. People follow the hand hygiene as they should, the mask wearing as appropriate, not mixing in big groups, all the things that we've been doing really successfully. And I think, to be fair, that the behaviour within uh, our own country has actually adapted to that too. So no one is looking for a big bang reopening either. Let's be honest about that in, in that sense. But we've done this in a scaled and responsible way that's actually worked. And I think we will do the same with hospitality. But to go back to your point, what was guidelines were published yesterday were, were guidelines. Uh, I would expect that cabinet will make will make the decisions around around the aspects of when indoor and is this dining because, reopens. in fairness, you're coming under pressure in your own party and no. in Fine Gael from backbenchers no. who believe that there should be a more aggressive approach it's taken. It's not actually, actually, really honestly with you, it's not mad. It's actually looking at, at what we believe the best thing to do is. When you balance public health, you balance that advice with uh, the needs of people of our jobs and different sectors. And I think we've done that pretty successfully over the, over the last number of months. I think any, you know, objective look at that and any, any assessment of how we've actually managed this, particularly in the last number of months, I think people would say has been, has been broadly successful. So it's not down to any pressures or discussions or things like that. People will have points of view. We'll, we'll, we will reopen things appropriately and responsibly. And that's what we've done and that's what we'll continue to do because we never want to have to close sectors back again. We don't want to have to bring well, restrictions back again. Well, one thing that is again. partially closed at the moment is public health because of the cyber attack. Of course, yes. And there's talk of 100 million having to be spent to try and re repair things. People are saying that's bad enough, but how quickly is it going to be done? And what do you make of the length of time it is taking to restore our health services to normal levels? Well, look, it was a very serious attack on our country. Uh, let's be frank about that. It wasn't just an attack on our health service. A very, very serious cyber attack uh, that took place. I listened to Paul Reid intently today. There will be a financial cost to it. But above and beyond the financial cost is the cost indeed to our processes, to our patients as well, how that has impacted upon delivery of services in some areas. Some hospitals not having any access to their... Hundreds of thousands outpatients. Yeah, it's, 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 it's extremely serious. But I think what we need to do and what we have been doing 
is is taking a very deliberate approach to rebooting and fixing our systems frankly and you know whilst we whilst we had and have received details in relation to the key and the restarting that that again has to be checked we've seen cyber attacks like this have a a, a serious effect on our health service you don't want that to spread any further okay. so i think that we're approaching it in the will right way will you be manner. getting independent experts in to find out why this was allowed to happen well, and to make sure that it will not happen again minister Eamon ryan had dealt with this and indeed minister Roshan smith also we have sought from the very beginning of the cyber attack independent uh, assessment and advice from from international ex- experts in this regard and we do need that and we need to make sure as best as possible that this does not happen again but i think all systems there's a vulnerability there there will be a vulnerability at some level okay and these type of attacks that have happened is an attack on our country not just on our health service and we want to see it restarted as soon as possible i want to ask about your own portfolio sure. of housing you're bringing to cabinet tomorrow a memo apparently on the setting up a commission on housing yes. Why? Why another talking shop when everybody has been aware of all of the issues in relation to housing for years? It's, it's, it, it's not a talking shop. It's a what com- is it so? Well, I'm going to tell you now, if you let me. It's, it's a commitment firstly in the programme for government that I negotiated with colleagues in the Green Party and in Fine Gael. It's a commission that will have not a talking shop, that would take actually a strategic view on housing in general all the aspects of housing, not just the bricks and mortar, but the legislative approaches of what are required, the constitutional issues around around the right to housing, the cost of, uh, of, of construction, homelessness, all those various things. And in my view, what it will do is it will bring uh, experts from within all of those sectors in to be very focused on the delivery of the programme for government, firstly, and how they input into that, but secondly, to have type of a trans-governmental approach to housing. One of the issues I've seen, and I say this as, as housing minister, is that you'll see from one government to another maybe strategy, strategies change, maybe uh, approaches change with regard to housing, but not dealing with the fundamental issues around land cost, for argument's sake, that I've discussed uh, with you before, around cost of construction and things like that, that I think we can do a better job on. So what I'm bringing forward tomorrow is a proposal to government that meets with our programme for government commitment to establish a time-bound bound commission on housing that will be independently chaired and will be made up of a number of 12 members of the commission, experts in their fields, and we'll have sub subgroups under that to feed in okay. to How policy and implementation. Back? Because this has all the appearance of kicking for touch, it's, delaying well, I, again. No, 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 no. I want to actually assure you on this. This is this is in addition to what we're doing. I don't think anyone can accuse me of delaying anything in housing. I brought forward a land development agency bill, the most comprehensive affordable housing bill ever in the history of the state, both of them in the House now, and I'm dealing with them, the biggest single housing budget in the history of the state. This is in addition, Matt. This is about planning strategically for our future. It's about not having and ensuring that we don't have knee-jerk responses to housing well, issues that aren't involve, just about, about delivery. Will it involve reversing policies such as state investments in the vulture funds which then buy up it, the housing it, that ordinary individuals yeah, and couples I've, and families I've, I've can't acted, buy. I've acted very promptly on that and, I've, and like my whole purpose for being here is to ensure and as housing minister that we put home ownership right back at the very centre of our response the to the housing crisis. strategic investment fund be stopped from investing in I, cuckoo funds in the future? I'm, what I'm going to do is establish the commission the independent chair with the members of the commission will work on the terms of reference. We'll have it up and running by the start of September. I can absolutely assure you and viewers, this is no to- talking shop or warehouse for issues. This is to strategically think forward on how our, 
we as a country and as a people need to approach housing over it's not still just going five to be or ten developer years. Developer led, because even no. this week we saw in relation to a plan in Donabate for twelve hundred houses that it seems to be very much developer led. It's not at all. Public land been sold. It seems Sorry. at a knockdown price okay. to private developers. Firstly, government policy isn't developer led. The biggest developer in the country is the state. The biggest investor in housing in this country is the state, is this government. Okay, and that's just facts. Uh, anyone who says to differently is being disingenuous. The scheme in Donna Bates, and actually I want to commend Fingal County Council, and I want to commend 31 progressive councillors who, who have now voted to deliver 1,200 homes, 238 affordable, 238 social, 150 cost rental, and yes, 600 private homes. Uh, but delivery, and all we get, and that will be in place now, has been passed by Fingal, uh, and that scheme, by the way, was conceived three years after the most recent plan for um, Oscar Trainer Road. So what people want to see now is delivery on, on these sites. It has on been these reported sites. that the developer is effectively paying €15,000 per unit, which on the open market would probably cost 30 to 35000 the, the arrangements and the financial arrangements with regard, with regard to Ballamastone and Donabate have been gone through by the local authority and by experts and put together and voted on by the council. It's a good deal for that area. It's a good deal for people who want to get on the housing ladder. It's a good deal for the state delivering state-backed affordable homes for purchase. We've had far too much of delay, delay particularly from the left and Sinn Féin, who, by the way, oppose this deal, who've opposed every deal that has been put before them since the last local elections. Our people deserve... They said it was a deal for developers. No, well, they, would, they actually use any reason to oppose. They've opposed over 5,000 homes in Dublin alone alone since the last local elections. This is 1,200 homes that they've opposed. I was in Clondalkin myself in Kilcarbury last week where there's nearly just over 1,000 homes going to be delivered, again opposed okay, by... OK, but, no, but Leo, Varad, no, Leo Varadkar tweeted yesterday that he believes public land should be used for private developments. In this case, 60% of the land going to no, private development. Is that appropriate? No, if, well, in this instance, it absolutely is appropriate because anyone who tells you that we can resolve our housing crisis by just delivering public housing only uh, is completely and utterly incorrect. And there are some that use that soundbite, some that use that soundbite and say, we'll deliver 20,000 public homes, as Sinn Féin say, in a year. They never say where, they never say who's going to do it, they never say how it's going to be done, and they never say how long. They but would these, say otherwise. Well, no, they, well, well, they would, but this is important, because these are real, real homes for real people that will be delivered. And we've put affordable housing right back at the centre. And the affordable housing bill that I have in the Shannon right now, and that will pass by the summer, will give real hope to couples out there who are paying exorbitant rents that they can own their own home. And I hope those parties who object to these housing developments will see fit to vote for real measures that are going to help real people and families own their own homes at an affordable rate. OK, I'm going to have to leave there. I had hoped to be able to ask you about pyrite issues that are similar Happy in Mayo and again. Donegal, and that is something we are yep. going to get back to. Sure. Our thanks to Minister Dara O'Brien for joining us. After the break, 5th of July likely date for indoor dining, but is it too late in the summer season for the industry to make a viable comeback? And calls month for the 105-minute time limit to be scrapped. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back. Well, we're joined here in studio now by Fine Gael TD, Jennifer Karen McNeil, and by the co-leader of the Social Democrats, Roisin Shortall. And first via Skype by Cahill Sheridan, the owner of Sheridan's Bar and Restaurant in Milltown, County Galway. Uh, Cahill, what do you make of the news tonight? And it looks like July 5th will be the date when you'll be allowed to resume indoor dining and drinking. Is that good news? Uh, good evening, Matt, and thanks for having me on your show. No, that's not really great news, Matt, but... That that hasn't that that is a recommendation by Neffet, but we're hoping that that'll go back to definitely the first of July. Um, it's very important that it does go back to the first of July, which is a Thursday, because those four extra days would be like a full week to us in the business, and we've been closed long enough. We need to get back up and running. Uh, I plead with the government when they when they meet that they'll take all that Neffet has said on on, on board. But I'm, I hope that they will open us on the 1st of July. We're, we're banking on, that's an extra, th those extra four days are like a full week's uh, business to us, Matt. And it's serious that we, we have to open on the 1st of July. There's even speculation tonight the Restaurants Association of Ireland may take legal action, particularly because of the fact that hotel restaurants will be allowed the indoor dining from the 2nd of June. That puts you at a competitive disadvantage when it comes to income. But what about getting staff? Is there a danger that many pubs and restaurants are going to find that people have gone to work for the hotels? Well, that has happened, I can tell you, in our own area here. It hasn't happened to me, luckily, because I held on to all my key staff as I went at... Um, uh, takeaway business on Friday, Saturday, Sunday since January, but um, a lot of a lot, I know a lot of my fellow publicans and restaurateurs in this area are finding it hard to fill their 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 quota of staff. And I know of a local man here who has lost two staff members to a hotel who's opening for indoor dining five weeks, four weeks before him. Of course, you also have the situation now where there's been suggested that there will be time limits. Uh, for tables that are uh, less than uh, two metres apart, 105 minutes. How do you think your customers are going to fancy a night out that's limited to 105 minutes? Well, that's a funny one now, Matt, because that's going to create an awful lot of confusion. When I open uh, in the 1st of July for inside dining, outside dining, two metre apart and one metre apart, there are going to be three different, well, two different time zones, but three different laws under which we'll be running. If you're a meter apart, you have to leave the premises after an hour and 45 minutes. If you're outside, you can stay for three or four hours. And if you're two meters apart inside on the premises, you can stay for longer than an hour and 45 minutes. So it's, it's very confusing for uh, the publicans to understand exactly what it is. But it, it's going to be hard for me as a publican to ask one of my loyal customers that I haven't seen for months on end, on the first night he's back after he having three pints, I'll have to say to him, no, you have to leave, Patrick, because the government say the time limit is up. But, Matt, that was brought, introduced, or, or spoken about four weeks ago. We've come a long way in those four weeks. 
by the 1st of July will be another four weeks' time. There'll be a big change again in, in four weeks' time. There'll be possibly another two million people vaccinated. So surely the government, well, I know the Vintners Federation of Ireland will be talking to the government about that one hour and 45 minutes over the next couple of weeks. And hopefully by the 1st of July, that'll be gone. And what about the rule of six? I mean, for those of us, for example, my own family, there are seven of us. I mean, if seven of us turned up in a restaurant or a pub, would we be required to leave one person outside? Well, if one of you are under the age of 13, it'll be OK, Matt. No, but, uh, youngest is 14. <laughs> well, I'll have to put you at two different tables, I'm afraid, then, Matt. <laughs> All right, Carl, thank you very much for joining us. we leave it there with you. So Jennifer Carl McNeil and Roisin Shortall are with us here in studio. Um, Jennifer, these rules seem a little bit over the top, aren't they? I mean, is it not something that we can just, once the pubs reopen again in restaurants, just trust people to have a night out spend more than an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, and I mean, the rules, they, they do seem difficult to understand from Fulcher this week, and they seem to sort of sit across each other a little bit, possibly, and maybe it's 100 you know, minutes here, and then, you you know, what's what's to say that you don't then move to another place? You know, all isn't of there these a greater danger in that, that you would have transmission of the illness because uh, Yeah, and I think, you know, what I'm looking forward to, look, looking to see tomorrow is what's coming out of Cabinet and the clarity that, that people need. I think what he said is very important, McCall said is very important. You know, this does need to be a constant conversation with government and with public health, an iterative process to recognise how we're progressing with the vaccination programme in particular. And obviously the intent around behind these, these different things is not to drive people absolutely bananas and, 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 and crazy with the complexity of it. And, you know, and sometimes it feels like, well, what's the point of it? It's all about trying to reduce transmission actually and try to reduce the amount of time that people are spending with each other in each other's company that's the motivation behind it but it I think it does need to be a good deal clearer and we look forward you know I hope to see that from government and what even about the point that Colin made there that the 1st of July makes an enormous difference to the 5th of July because it gives people a weekend it does and, and you know we've seen that before where the government have opened things up on Mondays and of course that you know after a bank holiday for example and of course the motivation there again is to get those couple of extra days where people aren't circulating in the same way to try to reduce transmission. That's the motivation. Again, not to try to drive people mad, but just to try to get those extra few days because every day that, that goes past and the, and the effects of the vaccinations are taking effect, the, the virus is being, you know, suppressed more and more. So it's, it's, they, there are the motivations behind it. It's certainly not the first time we've seen it, but I do appreciate the effect for a business like ours. Roshan, I think you've been fairly cautious throughout this entire episode of COVID over the last 15 months or so. Where do you stand now? Do you think it's a time to ease up a little bit, let these businesses get back up and running quickly as possible, give people the trust, especially as many of them will have been vaccinated? Sure. Well, I mean, the situation has changed enormously in recent months, thanks to everybody's compliance with the very severe restrictions. But more importantly, I think the impact of the, the vaccination programme, which has gone very well, and uh, the vaccinations are having providing even more protection than was originally thought. Um, so all of that is very good. I couldn't help thinking there, listening to Cahal, that, you know, it brought back memories of the Gardaí checking what people were eating in pubs and that kind of thing. A lot of that stuff that was announced, I think, yesterday is unenforceable. Like, it is just so confusing. So should the government disregard what Fulcher Ireland said yesterday and announce a different set of rules tomorrow, an easier to understand, a more acceptable set of rules? So listening to the, the recommendations from uh, Fulcher Ireland, uh, Fulcher Ireland um, 
it, it, I couldn't help thinking that they were basing their recommendations on some old thinking in relation to uh, how COVID is, is spread. You know, where it, it, the thinking used to be, it was all about surfaces and keeping your distance, whereas now it's understood very well that it's passed on uh, by, by, uh, it, 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 by being in situations where there's poor ventilation and where the, the virus travels on the air. It's airborne. And that's why it's, it's very hard to understand why there's been so little emphasis on the whole area of ventilation. And if activity is now going to move indoors, the whole question of ventilation is essential. And there's, you know, there have been recommendations from expert groups in relation to this that went to effort, and they never saw the light of day. I certainly hope when the announcement is made tomorrow, it is a very clear advice and guidelines in relation to good ventilation. And, you know, that can be as simple as having windows and doors open. But ideally, in commercial uh, situations, there should be proper um, mechanical ventilation. The Independent Scientific Advisory Group has been saying that they're still concerned we may be moving too fast because we don't know enough yet about the extent of the transmission of the Indian variant and the ability of the vaccines, particularly the AstraZeneca vaccine, to deal with it. Yeah, and, and listening to some people, you would think the virus was gone. It's not, and we need to be very cautious still. And all you have to do is look across the water and see how they're delaying their opening up. So it's it's very finely balanced still. And it is about balancing the situation to get enough of the vaccines out to get sufficient numbers of people vaccinated and protected, while at the same time being cautious about opening up society and the economy. And that is a difficult balance to strike. And there has to be, you know, an understanding that if the figures start going in the wrong direction and you know hopefully they won't and all of the indications are positive and like it's very encouraging to hear the leaks tonight coming out from the NEFET recommendation and advice and they are very positive and NEFET have been speaking okay. you know the, the mood music has been very positive from NEFET in recent weeks. Jennifer what about international continue. travel which is something I put to Minister Dara O'Brien and he seemed to be open to the idea of it starting quite quickly for all sorts of economic reasons. Oh I'd very much like to see that as, as soon as as soon as possible within the public health guidance you know and I think it's important to reflect you know the experience that we've had since January the government has been tried to try to be proportional and responsive to the events. You know, I know you had an op-ed in, in, in January which said, you know, close everything down and we can reopen our domestic economy except international travel. You know, and I think those things are, were, were you know, I understand, you know, at the time the sentiment, but the language was very strong. I mean, I remember one of your representatives saying that we had a political ideology that was against saving lives. And, you know, that made things very much more difficult. And do you, do you think that that has, you don't really think that really has well, been the case since then? Jennifer, like all you have to do that is look Holly at here all you have to do is who was out defending nursing homes from day one with you and me on the COVID committee but a political ideology that was against saving lives because how we talk about this matters for how people are feeling we have tried to have a proportionate response okay, at every so, stage so, so Jennifer, and we are continuing that yes just, just yeah. let me finish now it certainly right. will and we're trying to continue that now with the reopening and it is still difficult as Roisin says things still are very tense we have to get these different things right so that is Roisin, the difficulty that we're in okay. there were opportunities when we could have done things very differently. Last summer in July, the numbers were down to four a day.
So that was a fantastic opportunity to do things differently, to maintain the suppression, to keep the numbers down. That wasn't done. The government opted for a policy of rolling lockdowns, waiting until the vaccines were developed. And, you know, we paid quite a high price for that over the last 15 months. However, like the government have decided on this policy uh, after Christmas, they were forced into it because of the mistakes that were made in December. And we've had an extremely long long and extremely difficult lockdown. Thankfully now that we have the, the vaccines, they're very successful. What we need now to, to do is to ensure that we have sufficient supplies of those vaccines, which will allow us to continue to open up. But there were other ways of doing things. Other countries did things more successfully. But that is water under the bridge it now. Is, it is. The emphasis now, excuse me if I may finish this, the emphasis now seems to be on achieving herd immunity through the vaccination programme. And like it, that does depend on sufficient vaccines being available. We all hope that that will be the case. And if that continues, if we can ensure we protect sufficient people before opening up fully, well, then everything should go well. But we just don't know because there's uncertainty. So do and you... we know we've, we've been here, okay. or close to uh, here Jennifer before, Lindner, and please. it's up and down. I, you, you're right. We have been through, through April, July, September, and we have tried to find a balance all the time between the threat of the virus as it is at that time, what we knew about variants and what we didn't know about variants and trying to keep the economy open as much as possible. So those were the choices that we made deliberately and we have been oh, sure. all benefited by that. But a political ideology that is against saving lives, do you stand over it now? Well, or I was don't, it a regrettable I, I don't recall that comment. It was okay. February the 4th here. It was Holly okay, look, look, you're you're changing the subject really now. I don't know what a person said months ago. We look, we are where we are now in relation to okay. vaccines. And I, want to ask, and I want to ask both of you quickly one thing in relation to vaccines. Pfizer has made an application. It looks like 12 to 15 year olds can be vaccinated. But is that what we should be doing, vaccinating our teenagers? Or should we be insisting, starting with you, Jennifer, that these vaccines are distributed to third world countries and others rather than taking them all for ourselves? It's incredibly important that we support third world countries and places that, that, and we have been doing that. The government has increased its funding to COVAX, which is an international vaccine programme. We all have a, a global responsibility to make sure that that is done. Let's get the data on public health in relation to the 12 and 15 year olds. Let's see what our supply is going to be because that's going to be important as well. We see that increasing exponentially all the time over the last number of months. So let's try and get that balance really right, but we must support the global Very brief, community Very well. is this our ethical and moral responsibility? Yes, it is, absolutely. And to quote what Mary Robinson said, said a few, few weeks ago, um, no country is safe until every country is safe. And I think we need to do an awful lot more to ensure that the, the developing okay. world has access. And it's in all our interests to do that. And okay, Roshi and Jennifer will be staying with us. And after the break, couples planning to tie the knot this summer won't be taken to the dance floor as the ban on live music for hospitality remains in place. We'll be hearing from wedding band Pink Champagne right after this. Welcome back. Jennifer Carl McNeil and Roisin Shorter are still with us. We're joined via Skype by Cahill Malloy of the Wedding Band Association. He's also a member of the Pink Champagne Wedding Band. Carl, thank you very much for joining us. It seems maybe some good news might be coming your way in that bigger numbers will be allowed at weddings, but 
there still seems to be a thing against singing and dancing. So do you think that you might be denied the opportunity to provide entertainment at many of these wedding receptions? Well, Matt, uh, first of all, thanks for having us on this evening. It's, it's great to get an opportunity to uh, get some points across. So we've, we've two pressing issues. One is the campaign that we run, we're running currently called Left in the Dark. And we're also questioning where the 50 million was allocated to the events live industry in October. Um, you know, I was writing down figures earlier on, 240 days and not one euro has been allocated uh, to our industry. But in relation to the Left in the Dark campaign, we're calling on the Taoiseach tomorrow to lift the guideline on live music at weddings in line with guest numbers going to 25. We think it's, it, it's very fair to do so. And I think it's an opportunity for the Taoiseach to give wedding couples an opportunity to plan properly. Because some wedding couples at, at the moment have planned once, twice, three times four times we think it's a safe environment wedding the wedding um the wed weddings are a safe environment controlled environments have many people just the way we've been hearing about people giving up particular jobs because they haven't been able to do them for so long are there people who ha have been in this particularly small industry who've given it up now because there's just no point well it's 441 days matt since we've been told that we cannot work with no supports. And I keep on going back to the 50 million that was allocated in October. Um, now, it's been allocated into certain schemes, but unfortunately, Minister Martin announced on the 9th of March that the schemes would be uh, uh, open for application for our industry. Um, I'd like to mention the Event Industry Alliance as well. They've written to the Taoiseach about this to see where the, where the money is. We, we believe it's coming, but 441 days, people have had to change jobs. And now we're worried is there going to be that class of entertainment, wedding bands, musicians? Are they going to be here when we do reopen? Finally, there's been talk of pilot events. Would you perhaps hopeful that you might be allowed in July? If you can't do the, uh, the bands indoors, you might be allowed to do it outdoors, weather permitting. Yeah, uh, I mean, look, Falch Ireland's guidelines uh, yesterday, um, it created an awful lot of heat on social media. Um, and there's talk about protests and all this kind of stuff going on. But to answer your question, Falch Ireland's guidelines said no live music outdoors. So we're just a bit baffled what that means. The pilot schemes are welcome, but the problem will be, will we be getting back to work before the pilot schemes are actually ready to go? Colm and I, thank you very much for being with us. Again, Thank I mean, you, why not, Jennifer, music outdoors at the very least? Why the issue with having a band at a wedding reception? I think that what he has said, what Cahal has said about that, that where is the money question is absolutely the key one for me. The government allocates funding for it, but, but why is it not reaching people? And that's the, that's the question I'd be interrogating in a very serious way. I mean, like, we've allocated money for PUP, for the wage support, for the CRSS, but there are key groups that have been getting caught between that. Is because that. they weren't formally employed by somebody that they're probably freelance operators going from gig to gig? That, that, has, been, that has been an issue. And then, you know, the self-employment in the category, you know, so there are key groups. There's another one that's a very specific one, if I can give you an example. Catering businesses, there's two in my area. They're on a rateable pre premises, so should be eligible for the CRSS, but because they don't have a, a footfall element to it that has been closed down because of COVID, even though their business was one of the first to close down, they don't follow, qualify for the CRSS. But because they're a rateable premise, they don't qualify for the other one. So they're just stuck in between. Now, you know, I have been advocating about this for a very long time. I'm hoping that we're going to be able to recognise those particular industries. If you're a government backbencher and you 
can't get anything done on this. What's going on? Well, well, I mean, I don't have, you know, all-consuming power. I'm a government backbencher. I yeah, can lobby. But you have influence to get in, the ministers indeed, to be able to indeed, do things. Indeed, and I'm very much hoping that these groups that I've identified and other groups can get targeted supports, you know, as, as, as over, the next, over the next number of weeks because, like, it's, it's also my job as a government backbencher to honestly highlight things that I think need, where, where we need to be doing more. Yeah, Roisin, is there a number of things that have been announced and highlighted that simply have not been delivered upon? Sure, and I mean, that is a concern, that, that point that Cahal has raised there. The vast majority of people working in the music industry and in the arts generally are self-employed. So why wasn't it possible to get that fund to the people who needed it? But, you know, there's going to be a need for very creative and uh, careful planning of employment supports uh, as we go forward, because a lot of the industries are opening up very gradually. So many of them will be part time, reduced numbers and all of that kind of thing. So. There has to be, you know, a very careful scheme, uh, an employment uh, wage scheme, I think, that will be tapered over a, a period of time. But also in relation to the music situation, there's yeah. an awful lot of people play in pubs and yeah. restaurants as well. They're not going to be allowed to for the foreseeable future. Yeah, but again... Is that right? Well, look, it depends on what the rules are. I suspect the leaking that we heard tonight is that is just efforts. And I, I think the government probably will be making a number of changes to the, the leaks that we've heard. But I mean, again, we need to accommodate people working in the arts and to ensure that they have wage support. I mean, we can't afford to lose them. And if that means putting in place facilities for more outdoor uh, music and arts events, well, then that needs to be done. I think Catherine Martin, in fairness to her, recognises a lot of those issues. Uh, but we need to see the funding being made available. And the other thing is, you know, we need to be testing, as, as, as the government is beginning to do, pilot events, you know, more broadly. Like, we've seen how that can work. We've seen it in Barcelona. We saw it in Liverpool, now, you know, where they've had 4,000 people, say, in a large stadium. Now, the government is working with the same companies, essentially, to test how you do that. The, the in and out, the distancing, how that's managed. So, it's been you very know, slow to agree to antigen testing. Things like Leinster Rugby yeah. suggest in a pilot event which could be applied to all sports events government did not take them up on it. Yeah. There was a report a real given by there. the Chief Scientific yeah. know, Officer yeah. and the government didn't act I know, I wrote, to, I wrote, to, the, wrote to, to government members as early as October 2020 on antigen testing. What we have is government scientific advisor who's in favour of it, a CMO who's not. That creates a, that creates a difficulty. Yeah, but it, but you know, we haven't got an explanation think, for that. Yeah, we're probably the only country in Europe really good. that isn't using antigen testing. Are you in favour of it now? Because I thought you were reluctant about it. We're very much on the PCR side. Well, sorry, it's not the same as PCR. No, I know And that. it's not it's used in the same circumstances, but it is a very effective screening tool and there should be potential for using it much more widely, not as a replacement to PCR, and that is kind of the best one, uh, but it has other uses and should be used certainly in situations where you're talking about any kind of considerable number of people. Like in the, the UK, um, schools were using antigen testing uh, since last summer. And should it be used for third level institutions yes, which I do have had a year that out that when they go back in September? Absolutely it should be. I mean, it has, it, it's a very valuable tool among a number of other tools, but it's, the government has never explained why they haven't uh, agreed to that. And, you know, their own uh, advisor, Dr Ferguson, strongly recommends them in a whole lot of different scenarios. Could, would you hope that perhaps as we go through the next couple of months, the government will become more ambitious? So we're hearing that tomorrow night it'll be announced 
events, sports events in August, there may be up to 5,000 people left. That was the months both the All-Ireland Senior Hurling yeah. and football finals are played. Surely if we're on top of things, they'd be able to allow bigger numbers than just 5,000. Oh, I hope so. I mean, as long as, as you say, we're on top of things, as long as it's proportionate to the events of the day, there's no point in having had the conversation that we just had about proportionality and then to, to sort of get ahead of ourselves on those different things. You have to look at the facts as they are at the time. But I mean, I think, you know, there there is, there is um, there's huge ambition around this. There was ambition to try to manage the pandemic, keep the finances going and reopen the economy as quickly as possible. And we have an, a big body of work now about getting people back to well, work. Then, Next Tuesday, what do you want from the government in relation to the supports, the financial supports continuing for business? They have to continue for business. They, there has to be certainty, particularly on the wage subsidy, particularly for hospitality who need help to claw back. But then, Matt, it does need to be tapered away over time. When does it need to be tapered away, Roisin? What can we afford to do, briefly? Well, look, the, the basic principle is that it, there are so many industries who kind of have gone to the wall or else are really, really struggling and have huge difficulties through no fault of their own. And that has to be accepted. And many of those industries and businesses will only get back in a very gradual way. Uh, because of all kinds of constraints, which are likely to last for many months to come. So, you know, th th that needs to be recognised. And it, we need to also recognise the situation where employees will be coming back part-time. Hopefully it will work out. But you, the, we need to have that okay. flexibility to support people in terms of their incomes. Thank you very much, Roisin Shorter and Jennifer Carol McNeil for being with us and all our other guests earlier. That is all we have time for tonight. I'll be back on radio tomorrow afternoon on Today FM. Claire will be back here next Monday evening at 10pm. Until then, thanks for watching and have a very good night. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.